Good evening. Welcome back to Christ Community Church and especially our Wednesday night Summer of Psalms. I'm Bruce McLean and it's my joy tonight to share with you Psalms 111. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. And as you're turning there, I just uh, wanted to remind you in the background, you can see a picture on my computer screen of a mountain called Mount Kenjinjunga. It's the third tallest mountain in the world. And when I lived in India for six, seven years, every day I would walk outside and I would hope I could see the mountain because a lot of times it was covered by clouds. But it's just so beautiful to see that mountain and the snow-covered peaks that rise up to something like almost 28,000 feet. And it reminds me when I came home with Ping and Tessa in uh, uh, December of 2018, uh, we lived at Ray and Joanne Cruz house. And for over one year, every day I'd walk out of the front door and I would look up at the that other majestic mountain. You know what I'm talking about? Mount Baldy. Now I know you're probably thinking this week, especially it's, it's not very pretty with the smog and the fires, but on those days when the snow comes down or you have a clear day and you're driving up the 57 freeway, it's, it's majestic. I love to look at the mountains. And when I look at the mountains, you know, I say three things. I say, Oh Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth? I say Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I say Psalms 121.1, I will lift mine eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I love to praise the Lord when I see God's creation, and I hope you do. Our psalmist today uh, is, is asking the children of Israel to praise the Lord for the wonders of God's works, and he gives many reasons for it we'll look at. You know, it was um, Charles Spurgeon who said, Doth not all nature around me praise God? If I were silent, I should be an exception to the universe. Doth not the thunder praise him as it rolls like drums in the march of God of armies? Doth not the mountains praise him when the woods upon the summits wave in adoration? Doth not the lightning write his name in letters of fire? Hath not the whole earth a voice? And shall I, can I be silent? You know, the unbeliever can look at the mountains and, uh, you know, think they're wonderful, but he can't praise the creator behind them. Only the believer can. Uh, this psalmist, we don't know who it is. It's an unknown psalm. Uh, it's in book five. Uh, book five has 44 psalms and 28 of them. We don't know the author like this one. Um, book five may correspond to the book of uh, Deuteronomy because a lot of the psalms are about worshiping God and obeying his law. Uh, this psalm is the first of the three hallelujah psalms. Psalms 111, Psalms 112, and Psalms 113 are called the hallelujah psalms. Uh, psalms 111 and Psalms 112 are often called twin psalms because Psalms 111 deals about the godly works, the godly works of God, and Psalms 112 deals about uh, the works of a godly man. Uh, it's an acrostic. You take away the first set line, praise the Lord. And then there are 22 lines. Each one would correspond to one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, I understand this psalm is often read at the Lord's Supper in many of your traditional churches. Uh, we're going to read it. Notice God's works are mentioned five times in verse 2, 3, 4, 6, and 7. Look for the attributes of God. I'll mention them as we go through. Uh, look for the parallelism. What does line 2 say about line 1? Notice the adjectives about God and about God's works. Let's read it. Psalms 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. 
Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes that we can see wonderful things in this psalm. Teach us about you and your great works. In Jesus' name, amen. I do not have a poster board of our outline today. I trust you got it in the church's email. But if you don't have it, it's a very simple outline. The Declaration of Praise, verse 1. The Motivation of Praise, verses 2 to 9. And the Condition for Praise, verse 10. The Declaration of Praise, the Motivation of Praise, and the Condition of Praise. Let's get into it. First off, the Declaration of Praise. Right away, the very first word is hallelujah in Hebrew, translated into our English, praise the Lord. The psalmist wants the church, he wants the children of Israel, the congregation to begin worship by shouting out, praise the Lord. It's probably uh, every line, the 22 lines in this psalm, that after each line, the congregation would shout out hallelujah. There are 10 psalms that actually begin with uh, the words hallelujah. Uh, three of them are the hallelujah psalms, Psalms 111, 112, and 113. Uh, and then there are quite a few psalms like Psalms 115, 116, 117 that end with the word hallelujah. Now in English, we know it, it's praise the Lord. And in Greek, uh, the New Testament, the, the equivalent word hallelujah is only found four times, all of them in Revelation uh, chapter 19, verses 1, 3, 4, and 6. So the psalmist says, praise the Lord. We ought to get up in the morning and say, praise the Lord. And then he tells us we need to extol the Lord. We need to extol him. I hope you have a quiet time. I'm probably preaching to the choir tonight, so I don't need to harp on this. But we need to give God adoration every day, not just a shopping list of supplication. We need to confess our sins, of course. We need to thank the Lord, of course. But I think we don't often give the Lord enough adoration. Uh, many months ago, um, uh, Christ Community Church had a day of prayer with the prayer team. And we came on Saturday and they did and we did nothing but praise the Lord for two, three hours. It was wonderful. We need to do that in our quiet time. Uh, we then need to pray the Lord with godly people. Uh, you need to be in a small group Bible study or an ABF where, you know, it's not just in preaching. You can't stop the preacher and ask questions. But in an ABF, you can study, you can ask questions. It's more intimate time. So I would encourage you to get into a small ABF when this COVID is over. Next, and most important, he says, in the, in the congregation. You know, the temple in uh, the author's day, uh, the church in our day. You know, you call yourself a Christian, there must be an expression of private and public worship. And we need to be worshiping God. We need to be praising God. Um, you know, when I, when I think about that, this, this makes me think another attribute of God, the omniscience of God, or the omnipresence of God. He's with us. And he's with us whether you're alone, but especially when you're worshiping in the church, I really think you feel and know God's presence there. He's always with us, 
but we know and feel his presence when he's with us. So I would think that's one attribute that the psalmist is alluding to. Uh, so let's move on to point two. And this is the bulk of our message today. The motivation of praise, eight verses and eight things that we should praise God for. Let's get into it. Number one, God's works are great. Verse two, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Psalms 92.5 says, how great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Great, God's works are great in number, in magnitude, in scope, in variety, in design, uh, in what they're intended to do, in what they affect, and what they accomplish. You know, uh, here we see another attribute of God, the incomprehensibility of God. Uh, God's mind, we cannot understand it. And when you see his creation, when you see the, the magnificence of his creation, whether it's the, the rain coming down and eventually going back up into the clouds, whether you see the animals, uh, uh, when you see God's wonderful works, you can't even comprehend him. Uh, what are some of the works that the children of Israel would have praised God upon reading the psalm? Well, perhaps the 10 plagues and the miraculous escape from Egypt, the dividing of the Red Sea and the Jordan River walking across on the dry land, uh, the protection, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, uh, the battles, Joshua, 31 victories in battle God gave them, including the walls of Jericho coming down, manna, quail from the rock, uh, they would praise the Lord for many things. What can we today, Christians, praise the Lord for? You know, remember the song, count your blessings, name them one by one. Sometimes you just got to think and sit there and thank the Lord and praise him for his blessings. But we can praise him for creation, for redemption, for our family, our country, our church, our pastor, uh, healing. Uh, so count your blessings, name them one by one and praise the Lord because God's works are great. Uh, let's move on to number two. God's works are glorious, full of splendor and majesty is his works, and his righteousness endures forever. His creation is full of splendor and majesty. You know, when I, I mentioned Mount Kenjin Junk and I mentioned Mount Baldy, but, you know, if if I love the, the I'm a love, I haven't lived in the United States too much the last 18, 19 years, but you think of Yosemite and El Capitan and Half Dome, uh, the Grand Canyon and Grand Teton. It just makes you praise the Lord, you know, and thank the Lord that we live in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. But what about the animals? You know, let me just mention one animal, a woodpecker. Uh, a woodpecker slams its head into the tree 18 to 22 times a second, hundreds of times a day. In between each peck, the woodpecker opens its eyes, aims, shuts them again, and slams its head into the wood. It does that with a G-force of over 1,200 Gs. The equivalent, when we're on a roller coaster, it's about five Gs for a human. How can a woodpecker do that? How can that beak survive? Not, not designed by evolution, but through the wisdom and the incomprehensibility of God. It's just full of God's creation. His creation and his animals are full of splendor. So I see another attribute here. Uh, the wisdom of God and how wise he is in his creation. He also, we see another attribute, he mentions the righteousness of God. All God's word are righteous. We've been studying Genesis and in Genesis 1, six times it says it was good, it was good, and then it says it was very good. You know, despite sin, even today, 
it's still very beautiful. It's still very good. So God's works are great. God's works are glorious. And number three, God's works are memorable in verse four. The children of Israel were to be taught, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. They were to be taught the works of God. They were to be remember the works of God so they could remember to praise the Lord. But when you go to Psalm 78, I call this the they forgot Psalm. They forgot the works of God. Psalm 78, 11, they forgot his works. Psalm 78, verse 42, they did not remember his works. And when they did not remember his works, they did not praise God. God wants our praise. God expects our praise. God has unbelievers around the world today that he wants them to praise the Lord. That's why we do missions and tell them to praise God. You know, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is, and missions exist so we can get those people to praise the Lord. Uh, here in this, uh, here in verse four, <clears throat> line two says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Right away, you have two more attributes of God. Uh, mercy and grace are two vital Christian terms uh, whose meanings sometimes are misunderstood. We just think they're the same, but the best definition I ever heard was, uh, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Grace is God giving us something we do not deserve. So we need to praise God for his grace, his mercy, and his wondrous works. And we need to remember those works. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not growing in the Lord, you're not remembering the Lord, you're not studying, you're not memorizing, you're not meditating, you're going to forget the works of the Lord like the children of Israel, and your life will be a disaster. We got to move on quickly. Number five, God's works are benevolent. Verse five, he provides food for those who fear him. And why does he do that? Because he made a covenant, it says, with God. The psalmist here remembers perhaps the male, the, the, the manna and the quail and the water from the rock in the, in, while Israel was wandering in the desert. Uh, Psalm 78, I mentioned, says, verse 23 and 24, God commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. So here in verse five, you would have another attribute of God, the goodness of God. God is good. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. The righteous get the rain and the unrighteous get the rain. And, and that's something to think about <clears throat> because half the world's population, over 3.5 billion people eat rice every day. Now you and I have money and we go to the bank and get our money and we go to the grocery store and get our groceries or we just go buy fast food. We don't think about that food. Now perhaps the farmers do here that have to grow the wheat and the corn. But there are 3.5 billion people in the earth that grow rice, that eat rice. And you know, it takes three to four months to get that rice. And God is the one that is benevolent to give them water and not drought, to not let locusts eat that or insects eat that. God is good to, to even non-Christians. And I think when I think about rice and how half the world uh, is, eats rice every day, like my daughter Tessa loves rice. God is so good. God is so benevolent. And I know probably... You know, you like I, we pray for our food, but do you think about that food and the farmers who grow for it and thank God for his goodness? We should. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's move. Well, another attribute I could remember because he says he remembers his covenant forever. That might allude to the sovereignty of God because God made a promise at Mount Sinai 
I think verses 5 through 9 here, 5 through 8, are dealing with uh, uh, the children of Israel and the, the covenant that God made, and he ratified that covenant again and again and again. So it reminds me that when God makes a promise, all those promises came true, right? Uh, all of Moses says not one of them fell to the ground. They all came true. So we can trust the sovereignty of God all the way to the book of Revelation. We know how it ends, and we can praise him for that attribute. Let's move on to, to verse 6. God's works are powerful. You know, and I think we know this one very easy. Omnipotence of God is another attribute, God's power. And how did he demonstrate that power? Line 2 says, by giving them the inheritance of the nations. God showed his power in many works, but especially when the children of Israel, inferior in number, conquered the seven greater nations in the land of Canaan. Uh, in doing so, God gave them these lands that were previously occupied. Uh, I, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Joshua 10, 11, because it says, more died because the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed in battle. It was God who won the victories, not the children of Israel. And so that verse just is mind-boggling because God killed the enemy with hailstones more than the warriors of Israel killed in battle. So God's works are powerful. And, you know, maybe you're reminded of that when you hear the thunder, when you see the lightning, uh, when you see the ocean waves crash perhaps a hurricane, things like that. God's works are powerful and we should praise the Lord for them. Let's move on uh, to number seven. God's works are faithful. It says the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Uh, here you have the attributes of God, faithfulness and justice. You know, God's works are perfect and God is gonna faithfully fulfill every promise that he's made in the Bible like his promise to return and take us home, his promise for a home in heaven. Um, you know, it was A.W. Tozer said that the book of Psalms rings with thanksgiving for the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. Um, Psalms 97.2 says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. So God's commands are faithful. God's commands are trustworthy, they're infallible, they're dependable, and they surely will come to pass. And Jesus said in the New Testament, not one jot, not one tittle will fall from the law. And we ought to praise the Lord for the word of God, the promises in the word of God. Let's move on. Number eight in verse, number seven in verse eight, God's works are steadfast. He says they are established forever and ever. Remember last week, if you were with us, Psalm 90, we mentioned one of the names of God, El Olam, God everlasting to everlasting. You know, because God is God, El Olam, his divine works are also everlasting. They are established forever until that great day when God destroys the earth and creates a new heaven and a new earth. Um, they, these, his works are fixed. They're, they're divine. Man cannot destroy those works. Man cannot change those works. Um, they're permanent, they're irrevocable, they're everlasting, and they're eternal. Um, so here you have another attribute of God, the eternality of God. We mentioned this last week. It says that these attributes are, these, um, these works are established with, with uh, faithfulness. We mentioned that in uprightness. Sometimes uh, translators will change the word faithfulness here to truth. 
God always acts in truth and, and integrity and his works will endure forever because God is a God of truth. Let's look at verse eight, uh, the number eight reason why we praise God. God's works are redemptive in verse nine. Now, specifically here, the verse in the context is talking about the children of Israel and his covenant. And here is God's greatest work, redemption. You know, we don't know when this psalm was written, so the redemption here is probably Israel's deliverance from Egypt or possibly the Israel's deliverance from Babylon captivity. Uh, Patrick spoke of it Sunday, you know, in Genesis 3. It was God who went seeking Adam, not man seeking God. And God is a deliverer. God delights in rescuing people from their trials, from their afflictions, and especially from sin. You know, the work of creation uh, is, is great, verse 2, right? But the work of redemption, verse 9, is the greatest work that God does. So specifically, the context is the children of Israel and their deliverance, probably from Egypt. But we would think of God's redemptive work from sin, death, and judgment, his greatest work. God having a rescue plan to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin, for my sin, and exchanging my sin and giving me his righteousness. Uh, God, and that, that obviously is an attribute of love. God loves us not because we have done anything of works or anything deserving of love. It's unconditional love. You know, the parable of the, the, the lost son. He didn't do anything worthy of God's love, but God loved him and God came after him. You know, and then it says in verse 9, holy and awesome is his name. It's like a doxology. The psalmist is giving all these attributes. He's giving us all these reasons to praise God. And he just stops and shouts out, holy and awesome is his name. And here you have another attribute of God, perhaps the greatest and number one attribute of God, the holiness of God and the attribute that we as sinners in our process of sanctification, as we grow through our quiet time, uh, we try and it says the Lord God is holy and we should be holy. So, you know, I've gone quickly tonight because we're rushing through these quickly, but I hope you have a daily quiet time. I hope you spend time with God. I hope that this psalm will cause you to pray for and praise the works of God because God's works are great. God's works are glorious. God's works are memorable. God's works are benevolent. God's works are powerful. God's works are faithful. God's works are steadfast. And God's works are redemptive. Let's look at the last verse and close with this. Uh, the condition of praise, why we praise him. We, do, we talk about what we praise him for. We talk about where we praise him. Verse 10, and we have two points here. The fear of the Lord and uh, all those who practice it have good understanding. Uh, don't forget this. If you're going to remember anything tonight, if you forget everything I said tonight, don't forget this. Listen clearly. Verse 1, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Now, I know you type your phone, you type PTL, right? Well, verse 10 here, he says, FTL, fear the Lord. And they go together. You know, it's very easy to come to church and praise the Lord. But you got to leave church fearing the Lord throughout the work, uh, confessing your sins, reading your Bible, uh, growing in that process of sanctification. And the best way, the psalmist says, is by fearing the Lord. Uh, don't forget this, please. 
PTL goes with FTL. The fear of the Lord is a foundational principle of the Lord, uh, and it's a foundational principle in the wisdom literature that we're studying. So the psalmist says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom here. Job 28, 28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Proverbs 19 times it says the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the, the, the theme verse of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ecclesiastes, another book in the wisdom literature, uh, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. So of the five books of wisdom literature, only Song of Solomon doesn't mention the fear of the Lord. So I hope that you will praise the Lord more and remember to fear the Lord. Give him that reverence. Do your best uh, to, to be walking in the spirit and live a holy life. And how do we do that? Well, he says in uh, point two of verse 10, all those who practice it have good understanding. So the wisdom that he's talking about, uh, you know, is, is uh, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's progressive wisdom. You come to the Lord and you start to sin less. The old is gone, the new has come. And it's progressive wisdom. And you learn and you grow as long as you're going to church, as long as you're studying God's word, as long as you're spending time in the word of the Bible, you're going to grow. And you're going to grow and practice this walk with the Lord. And the only way we get this wisdom is from the Bible. Um, careful study of the Bible. And someone has said the Bible was not given to us just to uh, increase our knowledge, but to guide our conduct. And we guide our conduct by fearing the Lord and practicing it. So lastly, and the very last part of the verse says, fearing the Lord leads to praise. Notice verse 3 said, his righteousness endures forever. Notice verse 4, he remembers his covenant forever. Verse 8, they, the works, are established forever. Verse 9, he commanded his covenant forever. And now he ends this psalm, his praise endures forever. He began with praise the Lord in verse 1. He ends with his praise endures forever. You know, we believers here are to worship God on earth. But what are we going to be doing in heaven? Number one, we'll be praising the Lord every day, perhaps 24 hours a day. And I just encourage you to turn to Revelation 19, uh, verses 4 to 5, and I'll close with this. Revelation 19, verse 4 to 5 says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah, and from the throne comes a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, small and great. So I hope that you will praise him more here on earth, waiting for that great day when God will come and take us home in glory. And I hope that you will practice fearing him. Uh, this is a short psalm. I hope you've enjoyed it tonight. I look forward to let uh, next week, uh, finally, uh, we will get to one of the Psalms of David, and that will be Psalms 142. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, good night.